Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, it's been a while, uh, but we got some important stuff to get to. It is time to kick off our team previews, and there is nobody better to start with uh, than the Florida State Seminoles and a, uh, a good friend of the podcast, Mr. James Coleman. Tell us about him, Mike. Yeah, he does a little bit of everything. Um former football player at Florida State, of course. He's been on the podcast before, writer at the fifth quarter college football, so make sure to go check that out. Uh, we'll have him plug every everything that he's involved with, too, later on. But, uh, James, how's it going, man? It's going good, man. Just um, can't wait. I think it's 55 days till we kick off with Boise, so I'm um, ready to get the season started. You got the calendar up going and just, just counting the days down. It's probably like most of us here. Yeah, it's really boring without without football. I mean, I'm, I tried to watch soccer, but I fell asleep. It was too early in the morning. It was too early in the morning for me. Um, yeah, it's just nothing like – oh, I mean, MMA gave me enough violence last night. But um, <laughs> other than that, I mean, I'm just – I guess I'm addicted to it. I can't hit people anymore, so I like to watch other people hit people. Yeah, that, that MMA main event was a good, I don't know, five and a half seconds of uh, fun. Yeah, that guy really was mad at him. Like, I don't know the backstory, but he wasn't—he's not a huge fan. I can tell you that much. Definitely <laughs> not. Probably an understatement. I'm not the biggest MMA junkie, but I have a feeling that there's not not the biggest sense of sportsmanship in that sport. So, you know, everything probably goes there. Uh, actually, I don't mind that. I think people are too too nice sometimes, but as long as it doesn't go past what he did, that's fine. That's probably fair. I'm guessing you, you didn't get your feelings hurt about the U.S. celebrating too much in the Women's World Cup either. No, I loved it. I wish they danced more. I'm, the thing I was more upset about the women is that they pulled back. Those are, <laughs> those are grown women that you're going up against. If you get the opportunity to beat somebody by 100, take it. You don't ever, you, you'll never get that opportunity again. That's and right. As much bad press as you'll get, I mean, that's still a, it's still an honor. Because you yes. know what the other person is going to do? The other person's going to try to score 100 on you if they get an opportunity. <laughs> to quote General Patton, it's not your job to die for your country as a soldier. It's your job to make the other poor, dumb son of a bitch die for his country. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we're here to talk about the Florida State 2019 football season. That—that <laughs> uh, That is actually a great quote, and I, and I fully appreciate that, and I agree with you. You're my kind of people, James. Um <laughs> So, James, we are here to talk about Florida State. Um, 2018 was rough, uh, to, to put it lightly. Um, year one of the Willie Taggart era after Jimbo Fisher leaves and goes to Texas A&M. 
Uh, Florida State, the response was it was okay there for a little bit, and then it just seemed like it totally fell apart after about the first month or so of the season. Um, there was some talk coming in about how the the offensive line was a very fragile situation, and then there were some injuries that that totally derailed the thing within a couple of weeks. Um, I I thought that in particular the 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 one like real break point was the end of the Louisville game. Um, they had that game one, and then there was a really weird play call that got. Or, oh, excuse me, I'm thinking about that backwards. Sorry, that was Louisville uh, making a dumb play call. But anyways, um, Florida State kind of fell apart there about midway through the season. It became pretty clear that the offense was going to have a hell of a time trying to get anything going. Um, walk me through kind of what's what's the, what was the feeling or the perception of, of Willie Taggart and his staff coming out of the 2018 season. There was an end of a long bowl streak. There was just a lot of negative that the Florida State program was not used to being surrounded by. Did this pro, did this season really kind of damage the way that a lot of the fan base and, and some of the alumni view the program and, and then the staff? Well, it just all depends on, on who you ask. And from a from a business perspective, the fan base, um, the fan base is, is very emotional, and you have things being called for that you should never have. Um, for a coach in this first season, at least on the college level. It's not like pro, but college level is a little bit different. So people, there were people who called for Tiger Ted. Um, and granted, you know, I know over there, they don't, people don't like being talked about. Your job is in jeopardy, but people tend to understand when you haven't performed to a high level, this is what's going to happen. So, but from an alumni standpoint, alumni uh, for a player standpoint, and most reasonable fans, it's obviously it was worse than what we thought. We do need to give him more time, but damn it, there's some things, there's some flaws that look really, really bad, and we're gonna, we don't want to have to step in if we don't have to. Meaning, no matter how bad Jimbo left it, you should always have another people on the field. There's actually a guy who should be able to count that, and just too many consistent uh, mess ups like that. Um, bring in. But, but a lot of that also, just to give some 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 depth to it, came in between inter, inter, internal struggles and, and battles. Um, you had uh, the offensive office coordinator who clearly was not ready for that level of play. Um, not not a bad offensive coordinator. Um, actually, his resume speaks volumes, and he'll, he'll, he'll probably have moderate success at UMass. But when you have an offensive coordinator who's never called plays in, in big-time moments, mixed with a offensive line coach who clearly doesn't know how to coach the he's a good offensive line coach but he's never coached the system that you're trying to run which would be the spread a variation of the spread on top of injuries you just really had a lot of um measuring contests and a lot of it too if tag was probably stepping back and being self-aware he brought on himself because it's this thing every coach has a um how you say, a side of the ball that they take particular pride in. Mm-hmm. So when you think about Saban, Saban's a defensive genius. Um, Kirby was there for years. Kirby didn't, Kirby, when Kirby became the D.C., he didn't just automatically start. Um, Saban didn't just give it over to him. It took a while because that's Saban's baby. Now, what ended up happening with over here at Florida State is, you know, Tiger's not, not Saban. He's not a GOAT. You have to, to get a top, top-notch guy very few are going to say, you know what, I, I don't want to call the plays. I'm going to let you have the credit and do that. No, that's what you take pride in. And that's kind of what lost us 
some offensive coordinators that we wanted to, and Bell was told that he would concede the offense to him, and it didn't happen. And then Bell, instead of, you know, being, you know, probably a little bit more professional on the kind of kick for us on the way going out. But that's really a lot of why you saw the offensive um, offense just looked abysmal. Well, now going into year two, offensive line obviously needs some major improvement. But when you bring in a guy like Kendall Bryles, I guess you're hoping an offensive coordinator, his stature is able to take a little bit of pressure off of that offensive line that struggled a ton last season. Oh, without a doubt. And um, I think Kendall Bryles saw the situation. Um, him and Willie have a tremendous relationship through the years from when Willie went to go look at um, what they were doing at Baylor to try to craft his offense at, at South Florida. But bigger than that, what a lot of people don't know is that Kendall Browse probably would have been his OC at Oregon, and we would never have the situation if it wasn't for um, Willie's um, a formal unwillingness to give up the offensive coordinator position. I mean, give up the true title. Kendall said, I'm not coming anywhere if I'm not calling the plays. And what he didn't have at FAU, but what he did get at Houston was the biggest piece. And it's really a paired piece. And that's Kendall Browse and Randy Clements. There's essentially two offensive coordinators, run game coordinator, passing coordinator, but there's two plays that go out there. So people, so you don't really know. You can try to predict tendencies and take away certain things, but there's a there is a full run play. And there's a full pass play call with everything. And I'm not talking about just RPO or play action. I'm talking about it could be dive right or it could be four verticals, depending upon what the defense does to you. So when you go out there, it's but you can only have that when you have two guys who are on the same same plane. So think quarterback, offensive line, that's what about 60, 60% of the offense. Running back doesn't matter. We go right or we go left for the most part. And wide receiver, that's four guys at maximum. But you really need the quarterback, tight end, and the, and the um, offensive line on the same page. So now you've got Browse and Clements who have worked together at almost every stop. So now who you put at off wide receiver coach, even though that was an upgrade with Dugan, I believe. Um, you got Pimp. And I, I think it doesn't matter how good those guys are necessarily as long as the quarterback and the five linemen are on the same page. James, have have you had any concerns or has anybody else had any concerns that you've heard of of hiring a guy named Bryles who is the son of Art Bryles and who was at Baylor part of the staff when uh, kind of when that whole scandal was going down in terms of sexual abuse of the, the football program and, and the players that were there and, and some of the students that were on campus – it seems like I've heard a lot of major concerns, even, and I live in Houston. And so I was here when they hired uh, Kendall Bryles to be the OC last year. And there was a lot of concern here. Have you heard concerns about that, you know, and, and involving that guy and, and his history and kind of what he's been associated with, with the Florida state program? Yeah. Initially you heard a lot of that, but um, I think what ended up happening was uh, Florida state did, a, did probably one of the SEC type of sports information move. Uh, if you remember correctly, they released that information. It was either – it was right before – where was that? I was in Orlando. I was going to Orlando, I believe. Um, I forgot what – I think it was before – oh, right before Christmas. So they, they released the information right before Christmas, and you had the, and it was during the weekend. So it gets lost in the media cycle while you can create and, and create your offensive. But what Florida State did when they came to this situation is they looked at the fact that he had been hired he had not gone a year off of coaching. 
So you got so the Florida State's not the first um, compliance department that had to clear them. It wasn't like um, rinky D compliance compartments. FAU is pretty good with Brian Battle at the time, and he used to work at FSU. Brian ain't clearing nobody if if he believes that there's some something wrong with that. And then Houston, which is becoming one of the the premier schools outside of the Power Five, um, to see those two schools clear them, and then what from my understanding is FSU literally retried them. They took all the information that they had. They did their own investigative information. They they looked them front, back, side to side, and they couldn't get them. Couldn't do. Couldn't get them on anything. Like so, it wasn't just they're saying, "Oh, he's clear." It was more of a, "We're going to vet them. We need to know if we're willing to take." this hit and they have and you also see a lot of the things that Kendall Browns is trying to do outside of the community when it comes to awareness and things like that so FSU not only did their due diligence they're actually using it as an opportunity to raise more awareness for um, sexual assault on campus they did their own little personal background check it sounds like even more so than the traditional okay check all the boxes on a regular job background check it sounds like they so I mean going through and kind of doing their own version of the investigation is interesting I mean, if you think about it, like me, like I, I, when I when I saw it, I um I wrote about it. I said I wouldn't have done it. Not as a qualified candidate. One, I've never done an interview. Every job I ever go to, I get. It's kind of a Bowden model, but you have a comf- He's in a comfortable situation where he just signed a big contract. It's more of I don't have to. You know what I'm saying? Like so, for him to come now, he got handsomely compensated, making a million dollars. There's nothing to sneeze at. But I believe he was, you know, he was mid six figures in Houston. And probably could have rolled that out without having any of the controversy off the field in terms of what your team looks like. So, but I, he really wants to be here. He wants to be able to see Coach Taggart be, you know, make history possibly at Florida State because he knows it only helped him. If you go to Florida State, you flip it, you turn it around as an offensive coordinator, you are probably in the next three years, if he's if Florida State is continuing winning, nobody's going to talk about it. that Baylor will be a blip. But he will get an opportunity to be the next hot head coach, um, whether it be on the collegiate level or the um, pro level, or better than that, you, if Florida State is successful, you'll see them take the Clemson model, where they're just going to really, really have high paid, stupidly high paid assistants. Whatever gets working for them. I was going to say it's worked worked well for them so far. <laughs> so if that's the route that uh, Florida State eventually goes down, that'll be. Uh... That'll be fine as long as they're winning. Yeah, I mean, and then Clements actually is it cost us less right now than what we were paying um, uh, Fry. So we'll see. Those guys will probably be trying to keep together for as long as possible. James, I wanted to talk about the quarterback situation for a minute with Florida State coming into this year. So last year, DeAndre Francois, the primary signal caller there for the for the Knowles. Uh, he went out first game of the 2017 season, injured after a real what I thought was a really solid 2016 freshman year. Took him to the Orange Bowl. He comes back last year, uh, doesn't really show a lot of what we would maybe view as progression. Um, he, he throws 15 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He obviously didn't have a ton of help from his offensive line, but he's gone. Um, he had some personal troubles of his own. He's no longer in the picture for Florida State. What we're looking at now is James Blackman, who was his backup, who primarily started the 2017 season. He played a little bit last year, did okay. He's joined in that quarterback room by Wisconsin transfer Alex Hornibrook. 
And I guess the thing I'm curious to hear, I mean, we the, the stylistic difference between those guys and really kind of what they're capable of is is pretty vastly different. And I, in a lot of ways, at least from a physical capacity, I don't really see what Hornybrook can do that Blackman can't. Um, but I'm curious to hear your your perspective on kind of where this quarterback room is going to go, what it's going to look like. Is it a legitimate battle between the two of them? And and really, more important than anything, James, are you horny for Hornybrook? <laughs> I'm definitely not horny for Hornybrook, um, <laughs> and not because he's not not because he's um, an awful quarterback. I mean he he got beat out. I mean he was facing being beat out at Wisconsin, so he wasn't just, it wasn't just a transfer, and he threw a ton of interceptions during his career. So, but I so I don't really know how a lot of that stuff goes. I also know he has some health issues. More than likely, he is just there to provide stability in case the worst happens um, and you you lose your starting quarterback. We don't want to get caught in that situation that Jimbo got caught in. So you got that. You got Wyatt Rector. You got um, uh, the wide receiver, the quarterback transfer from Louisville, who's named Jordan Travis, who's probably not going to get cleared. But you still have a good amount of depth in your quarterback room, but a guy who's a vet, but all young. So now you've got a veteran, Hornybrook, who actually has led a ball club, who can't provide a little bit of maturity just by age, or you would hope. Slim has that locker room. And Slim is, um, is James Blackman. If he doesn't start, there'll probably be a riot. You'll probably see like a Clemson level, which is odd, ironic, because, you know, less than over, less than a decade ago, Clemson players just refused to play for their coach, Tommy Blackman. I don't know if you guys remember that. But if Blackman doesn't start, I'll probably you'll probably see that, especially if it doesn't go well. Blackman has leadership qualities. He has a locker room. If you go back and you look at the North Carolina State game, the game he actually started, he was on fire. Offensively, they did their job. They did well enough to win. It was just Florida State's defense couldn't stop a much better quarterback. Um, and that's why the score was the score the way it was. But Blackman gives you the ability to make a decision. So the problem with DeAndre Francois Yes, the offensive line wasn't any good, but they also got sacks that they shouldn't got because he didn't trust his instincts. You drop back, you climb the pocket, move the pocket. That's what every quarterback is taught from the from literally from when you play. And DeAndre Francois would step back, lock it on the target, wouldn't wouldn't climb the pocket, wouldn't do his technique, and wouldn't make a decision. At the end of your drop, you should know where you're going. And if you don't, you climb the pocket, you throw it deep. Very simplistic way to look at offensive, offensive quarterback development, but that's your progression. You didn't see that, and when you did see it, you saw beauty. That was on 15. Terry and Terry is probably scoring a touchdown with somebody. So you take that, but when you look at Blackman, Blackman has an ability to make a decision. And this offense with Bryles, he actually wants you to make the decision faster than it was with the Taggart system, with, with, with Bell. So... I like his ability to make a decision. I like his confidence. I like his deep ball. I also like um, the fact that the line and everybody seemed to work with him. The other weird thing about the NC State game is that there was one offensive penalty in the entire game. If you go back and you look at all the other games, there was at least four or five, which derail, which can really derail you. But I just find that odd, and that's only can be shown from a leadership standpoint. So you mentioned you know, that Hornybrook is basically the backup at this point. He does throw a lot of interceptions, but the one thing they does have going for him is that he beats Miami. <clears throat> Love that. Dilly dilly. Love anybody <laughs> who beats Miami. 
But um, I also believe that was a, I mean, that, that was a straight ass whooping game. Wisconsin just lined their deep. They said, you guys think your front seven's bad? We're going to show you how, how how bad they're not. And they just lined up, ran the ball down Miami's throat. And that was that. Um, so, staying with the offense, you know, personally, I think Florida State's offense will be much better this year because I think the offensive line will be better. But talk for a minute about how big of a loss Nyquan Murray is. Nyquan. Um I'm trying to say this civilly. The production is good. He's a good wide receiver. I just believe he didn't buy in the way he needed to buy in. And by not doing that, he left a lot on the field. But I also think DJ Matthews, um, Treshawn Harrison, or Keyshawn Helton are upgrades in that situation. Not only are they faster linear, they're um they're better with their cut side to side. If you don't know who Keyshawn Helton is, just remember the one touchdown that we scored against Clemson. And that's the young man who sprinted to the touchdown. DJ Matthews is a kid who returned to punt against um the U for um for a touchdown. And um and Trisha Harrison has made numerous plays. So I think those are the guys you you separate with with there. I believe the biggest loss on the offense really is is Patrick. I think Patrick is a better running back than what was shown. But the lack of understanding how you wanted to run the offense, the zone read, it just really left a lot. But you'll see the most talented yet youngest segment on the team is the wide receiver core. And I say youngest with, you know, DJ Matthews, I think is your, has the most career starts. But even then, he's your vet and he's still a, he's still a junior or a redshirt sophomore, along with Tamar and Terry. So your best, you have, and I think you have, um, Keith Gavin, but Keith Gavin has been the most inconsistent wide receiver in FSU history. He could have, he can go out and have a Kelvin Benjamin type year, but more than likely he'll be a guy you never heard of in, in 20 years. So, but the wide receiver core has some guys with Jordan Young, Warren Thompson, Tamara Terry, the, um, the other three young men, young slot wide receivers that I mentioned. It's tons of talent in that room. So that's really where I see the explosion with this, especially if they could get on, get on a good rhythm with the quarterback. James, the, the name that I'm surprised that I don't know that I've even heard yet uh, in this in this podcast, and a guy that was considered an all-world recruit a couple of years ago and who still seems like we're waiting for the real breakout is Cam Akers. Is, I mean, is this Kendall Bryles offense figure to be the opportunity for Cam Akers to really break out and show us what he's capable of? Or are there starting to be some concerns that maybe he's not as much as we maybe cracked him up to be here a couple of years ago coming out of high school? Um, I think – it's the one when you don't have a good offensive line from from that perspective. And you don't have a coach who was calling. So even with Jimbo, when he broke the freshman rushing record, Jimbo is known to go periods of games where he does not throw – he does not run the ball. I mean, it's a serious drought. You're talking about 15, 20 plays. And that's just like quarterbacks who don't throw the ball consistently. If you're not getting your runs and you lose your rhythm with the O-line and your ability to see the hole. He wouldn't give it to Dalvin Cook. He wouldn't give the ball to Dalvin Cook. There would be stretches where Dalvin Cook didn't get the ball. He was the most impressive guy on the field, didn't touch the ball. Don't get me started on that. um, (laughs) Like, that 16 team had three losses, but there was no getting around that ass from Louisville. I still don't know what happened to that day. But the other games, you give Dalco the ball a couple more times instead of trying to put it on a – anyways, I don't know for Jimbo, right? That's fast. But – 
the thing I the thing I always try to tell people is he was not a running back in Mississippi. They just ran that um what was that weird office that they, that they talked about here? Just anyways, it was quarter it was quarterback draw right, quarterback draw left. It's different running the ball from there than it is running the ball from like running the ball as a running back. So you have less control over what's going on. You have to take your steps. He was very impatient at times, but I'd be impatient too if I kept getting hit by the defensive end and my quarterback didn't pull on his own read. So he tried to make the most. And I think too many times guys, guys, they won't admit it, but you get caught in that. I got to get to the league moment. So every play has to be big. And you just got to let the game come to you. But I believe he, him and Kalen Labor will probably have some kind of crazy dynamic duo because you can't – if the offense is clicking and they got you on your heels, you can't guess right. So if you – if either you're playing the pass or you're not. And if, if you're not playing the pass, then a the guy like Cam Aker who can get up on you and then – and if he can run by you, he'll make, he'll, he'll, he'll make a big play. My only problem with Cam Akers is he doesn't really do the second level – he doesn't have a really good second level vision, but that kid Caden Labor, that kid got it all. I like that kid. James, let's move to the defense here a little bit. And and the reason we've spent a lot of time talking about the offense here is that the offense was really largely the problem in 2018. The defense really held its own for the most part, at least when they believed that what they were doing was a valuable, you know, value add kind of activity. Um, it, it felt like they started to break down in the back half of the season when mentally it started to break down of like, it doesn't really matter to some degree what we do because the offense can't score to give us any sort of anything to work with. And I, and I look at the defense coming into this year, and honestly, a lot of the bigger playmakers that Florida State had last year on defense are coming back. A lot of the good things they had working on defense were coming back in general. So is there any reason to think that the defense should – you know, miss a beat this year, or should they really continue to be a pretty good defensive team going into next year? They should be this. They should be much improved. The reason why I say that is because the weaknesses of that defense were in the second, were, were on the safeties in the secondary, <coughs> and your linebacker core. That's two huge gaps. You can't have that, um, especially when you have a dynamic edge rusher um, who is unfortunately gone. You got good push up the middle. You you had enough going on in the defensive line that should have made you better. So what did they do in recruit in this recruiting cycle? They went and they tried to address that problem with physical downhill wide receivers. You, you got keep, I mean, obviously not wide receivers. Excuse me, linebackers. You got Kevon Glenn. You got um, Jaleel McCree. You got Kalen Deloach. These guys are fast, explosive. You end up you you you, you put in Amari. Um, and you really had um, D-Jacks. Those are the guys that, you you know, you want to go, and you can actually see major improvement there. Um, the safety position, that that recruiting class was world, was probably one of the best DB recruiting classes in, 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 a, in a long time. It had Nick Cross came in, it would have been even better. So those are – there you get – and all those guys can play the corner or play the safety. So you really secured yourself there, making moves with um, Ham Sandwich, AKA Black Isis, uh, Hampson, Nasser, I don't know how to say it. It's one of the Muslim names. So I'm just saying, like, don't, nobody shoot me, but that's just, how, were, I don't know how to say the kid's name. Were those, were those <laughs> the names that his parents gave him, or did somebody Ham else give him? Ham Sandwich and Black Isis <laughs> is what I call them. <laughs> 
Okay. I, All right. I can't. I don't get paid enough. I'm not a beat writer. I don't get paid enough <laughs> to learn this full name. Now, if he gets drafted by the Jaguars, who I do cover on a daily basis, I promise you, I will learn his name. I just know he's good. I think he's better at this at, at this linebacker spot than he was playing at safety. So moving him and Jaden would be. Those are two really good things. That, again, try to help, and then they get mature. The problem is, I have no idea who's coming off the edge. The push in the middle with Honey Fried Marvin and um, uh, Durden and Big Coop, those guys, toward the, especially toward the middle of the season, like were really, really creating havoc. If you watch the Miami game, you notice that's where a lot of the, the push was coming from. So if those guys can take a next step, you really have to lean on Kane, though. You got to have, say, Robinson and Kane, though. We got to have a hard heart. We need you guys to come in, and we need you guys to do something. Because I think the defensive ends that they brought in are more, if you're going to shift to a 3-4 scheme, they're just not, they're not like Brian Burns. And we don't have a Brian Burns, and that's scary. So the weakness, I think it's safe to say, for this version of the Florida State defense will likely be a defensive end. But, hey, if Florida State finds themselves a couple of pass rushers, I think this would be a pretty formidable defense, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Kando has all the tools. J-Rob has the tools. Or, or if they do switch it up and they put out like a more of a 3-4 looking, you have some of your faster linebackers that have a little bit more size coming off that edge. Yeah, but you also don't – it also doesn't have to look like – I don't – I don't see a Demarcus Walker. So, like, in the 2015-2016 season, you all, you had Demarcus Walker really emerge as a really as a, as a good edge rusher. I don't see that guy, and I also don't see the explosive guy. So, you really got to hope that the hope that maybe you have, you know, a guy with eight sacks here, a guy with five sacks here, maybe three or four sacks coming in the middle, you know, just really creative at different spots. And I think, yeah, you're right. Because these guys that they have in corner are all long, fast, and athletic, except for Levante Taylor. And I think where they're talking about moving him is more of a – more of a he shadows the slot, more places. He's more of a safety than he is a corner. So you, you're really even shoring up your weaknesses from a physical standpoint. So you mentioned a couple of young guys, uh, some newcomers, Jaleel McRae, Akeem Dent. One of those guys make an impact early on. Do you think he'll be McRae just because of the linebacking core that you were mentioning? It'll be both. Akeem Dent's going to be if he's not a if he's not a starter, he's going to him and Travis J. If they're, if they're not starters, they're going to definitely be thirty five percent guys. Like so, they'll play. You'll see them every other series, or you'll see them really get weaved in there. And very early, Jalen McCray definitely, um, I think, from the linebacker position because he's been there longest and he's a Mike, so he's right behind um, Devonta Jackson. But I actually had to pr- have the pleasure of actually training Caleb Deloach. And that kid is, like, gets built like a Greek guy and he's fast. Whenever you say go, he's there. However far it is. I've only seen, I've only seen that with Derrick Henry. James, from a recruiting standpoint, at least, do you have any questions or concerns at this point about this staff? It, I, I feel like what I've seen and heard from a lot of the Florida State fan base, there's a lot of kind of mixed opinions on what they've been able to do on the recruiting trail here in the first couple of years of the Taggart era. The biggest thing and the problem that Florida State fans have is that we don't know how to play the dozens very well. And the dozens is a, is a fancy way to say trolling, which you guys do these days. Dozens, when I was in high school and middle school and elementary school, we just cracked on each other all day. So we built up this this um, this immunity 
to when people start going back and forth with us. So Florida State, we've been so used to having something to hold over people that we don't have it. So now we are looking and crying at every possible thing. And yes, some of this stuff is bad, but you came up in five or seven seasons. But what you got to do is you got to win. So if we win, a lot of this will change. So what does this mean, Josh? Look at the University of – we're comparing ourselves to University of Florida and University of Miami. We were only ranked low because we lost Nick Cross. Now, we didn't get the quarterback situation. The tag fixed that, getting two transfer kids in. And guess what any, 20, any 2018 or 2019 quarterback that came into Florida State wasn't going to do? They probably were never going to be the starters. So now, again, so I'm just it's a problem that you, you want depth, but he, cre- he solved that problem probably in a better way than bringing in some kid who's just going to transfer out. But you look at Florida, and Florida had a top 10 class. But there was a lot of guys that they took chances on. Like, that. There's there may be – there's right now we know there's four kids in that 2019 class who aren't going to go to Florida, go to the University of Florida. Potentially three more. So you – okay, so now we're talking about that. We know we're not going to get Clemson. We know we're not going to compete with Bama. But to have a guy off of the worst year at a certain point have a top 15 class, that's saying a lot. And then right now, you're, you may not get the premium offense alignment because we want, we're, we're trained to believe four and five stars are the only good players. And that's just not true. Especially the, and if you really look at rivals in 247 and ESPN 300, where they, miss the, where they miss the most consistently are offense alignment. But when I think about my offensive line coach, Randy Clements, and I look at what his history is, he has a history of creating first-round picks. And he has a history of creating first-round picks out of two stars. So what does that tell me? Like, okay, cool. Whoever you guys are evaluating and bringing in, you believe will do good, and you believe you, we're just one or two pieces on the current offensive line to be great. So other than that, I mean, we just got we just pulled in. Um, we just got a great grab um, with this four-star wide receiver from Louisiana. We're probably going to get Rob, um, Michael Robinson out of um, out of Palm Beach. Um, we're probably going to get Ger- um, Morgan Joseph, who just decommitted for Florida. So now you got a now you got an edge guy, and there's a couple other D linemen. It's it's a long process. You win games, you're going to probably get some kids to flip. But the biggest thing that's really where he has to do. We got to ask ourselves: I want him focused on if it's focused on winning games, developing what we got, or getting some new freshmen who probably who only 20% are going to ever see the field and make it and make an impact, I'm going to go deal with the guys who are on the field. Well, for 2019, James, let's take a look at the schedule. Uh, you and I were talking briefly before we hit record about that Boise game in the opener in Jacksonville. I don't know what to make of Boise. I'm not sure anybody does. Um, obviously, they got a lot that they have to replace, but how are fans feeling about that? Uh, early season showdown, uh, a little non-conference action there in a neutral site. A lot of people are, are just like, we want to show, we'll, we'll show us something, show us something. So they're not even looking at the game logically. Boise may very well beat Florida State. Boise is still a really good ball club, consistency and head coach. But they lost their leading rusher, their leading receiver, their their quarterback, and their defensive coordinator. Not, they didn't lose the defensive coordinator like at the end. They lost them like right before they went in the spring ball to Oregon. So this isn't the Boise State that we're that we're used to. That coach is at Washington right now. They're still good, still talented, and based upon how we played against guys like 
not necessarily Sanford. Sanford had a good quarterback too. But we played against Sanford. I just said that I can understand people not being that. But I'm not going to be one of those guys that's going to say I was going to lose. Common sense tells me that Florida State should win that game, win that game by two to three touchdowns. But you know that's kind of just where a lot of people are at. It's just it is a it's a a distaste from having a five or seven season. I think the thing that the administration at Florida State could have done better that would have helped Tad or made Jimbo get off the pot quicker is they shouldn't have ever rescheduled that game. So, I mean, it wouldn't be the worst season. Then. James, the I think this is a really interesting schedule for Florida State. Um it was a really interesting game to kick off the year Labor Day weekend against Boise State, and I believe that game's in Jacksonville, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. Can't wait. Got a tailgate coming. <laughs> and, and by the way, I, we'll give you a second to plug your uh, plug everything you need to plug here at the end of the podcast. But I'm pretty sure it's uh, Doke Boys, the Doke Boys yeah. at the podcast. It'll a, yeah, there'll be a Doke Boys fifth quarter, fifth quarter podcast. Oh hell yeah, Doke Boys is part of fifth quarter, so. Yeah, but it's going to be – one thing it will be is a lot of alcohol and meat <laughs> and food. And from, and from personal experience, the uh, the tailgates are, are solid, real solid. Mike has been that's, there and done that. Yeah, that's really – is Mike and his people are the reason, real reason why nobody wants to get excited again. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody was pumped. Virginia. Everybody was pumped Virginia Tech, but nobody wants to have that feeling again. <laughs> Dilly dilly. Um, so we look at this schedule starting out against Boise State. That's a really tricky, even just down the road from Tallahassee in, in Jacksonville. That's a really tricky neutral site game to kick off the year against a pretty solid, you know, consistently solid program. I don't think that they're going to be the, the more talented program on the field, but Boise State is capable of beating a lot of really good power five teams at any given time. So that's that's tricky. You got a game at Virginia just a couple weeks later. You've got a home game at or a home game against NC State. You know, and then a, an off week before you go to Clemson and then to Wake Forest. Um, Miami is a is a relatively late game this year, if I'm not mistaken. At home on November second, a road trip to Boston College, a road trip to Florida. There's several kind of tricky spots in here, and and James, ultimately, what I'm curious to hear is your your take on this schedule and kind of what you're thinking. Uh, record-wise for the Seminoles this year with with some of these tricky spots, but hopefully, you know, an upgraded roster slash upgraded performance from what we saw last year. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I, I think we're going to win nine games. Whoa, uh, nine and three. Yeah, with, um, you know, not including the bowl game. With the ceiling, with the ceiling being 10, believe it or not, and the low point being should be eight. Um, probably should say seven because if you're at that point, you probably your team you probably lost some of the guys on the team. But the reason why I say that is there's four, the four losses that I could just see on the schedule that that you know will be tough is I'm not saying we will, but Clemson, Florida, Miami, and I'm not gonna say Boston. I mean Boise State. I want to say more Virginia because um this is one of the better Virginia Virginia teams that they fielded. So those are the games that always scare me with the combination of Boston College in in Boston. So like they we, we don't really play that well there. So um especially later in the season. The Clemson the Miami game scares me because of where it falls. Typically that Clemson game 
and Miami game are flipped. That's usually when we play Clemson right around Halloween. But I um I know we ain't beating Clemson. So, but if we if Florida State goes into Clemson, um, five, goes that comes out of Clemson five and one, and they play Clemson very well, then that could be they could be on fire coming down the rest of that schedule because if you gotta actually think with Kendall Browse, then you're gonna be screwed. But I still I still think that the I can't say with a, with a good solid heart which one we'll lose. But I do know Florida's got some good things going with Dan Mullen. Now, Dan Mullen can't keep recruits, but the man can coach. Hmm. He coaches whatever he coaches whatever shows up. <laughs> yeah. I. It's interesting. You, you talk about that first five games, you know, before you play Clemson, Boise State in a neutral site, Louisiana Monroe at Virginia, Louisville and NC State at home. Yeah, I, I agree with you, James. If you if you win those five games, I mean, the sky's the limit, and that that probably is one of those things that bodes really well coming down the stretch. Um, if you can win those five games, you're really not scared to go to Wake Forest. You're not scared of Syracuse coming to Tallahassee. And as much as everybody seems to struggle going to Boston College, I mean, you, you give yourself a better chance than the last couple of years that have been kind of inexplicably difficult there. So I – I, I think for me, and, and Mike, I want to know what you think too here. I, I think like eight and four, maybe seven and five. If, if I'm really being conservative, probably seven and five. Um, I, I get nervous if, if, as bad as last year kind of was and as bad as it seemed last year at times. I, I'm nervous jumping from either I remember it was four and eight or five and seven to eight and four, that, that level of jump. But I mean, you've got a really great offensive coordinator coming in that is going to figure out what he's got with the pieces, and he's going to figure it out pretty quickly and ask him to do things that they can do. And Lord knows that the talent on that Florida State offense is is good enough to do a lot of things. Um, uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go seven and five. I'm go seven and five, and maybe eight and four if, if things go really well. So this is our first preview um, heading into 2019. And I think the issue that we're going to run into with a lot of these previews is that we don't really know what the ACC is going to be this year. It could either be this conference where there are a bunch of teams to step up and play really well, or it could be much of the same as last year where it's Clemson and everybody else. Right. And the coastal is going to be really ugly heading into this season. I think that that's clear. And it was last year. And I think that's going to continue to be the case uh, in the Atlantic. There are some questions, but I think with the Atlantic division, at least you've got some talent returning on, on some of these rosters, right? Like Syracuse loses a lot of talent, but we know what Tommy DeVito is. We've seen him play quarterback before for them, right? We know that NC state's got talent returning, even though they lose Ryan Finley and they lose some of their top produ- uh, top production on the offensive side of the football. Clemson's Clemson, and we saw what Wake Forest did last year with the young roster, right? So they're a team that's going to be extremely well coached, and Boston College still has A.J. Dillon. So I think there are less questions in the Atlantic than there are in the Coastal. So when I look at this schedule, I'm falling around eight and four. Um, I, But with that being said, I, I could see nine wins. I could see seven wins. The games that you guys have already mentioned that give me a little bit concern of concern if I'm a Florida State fan just from a – you know, from a talent standpoint on the other side of the field, I think 
the Virginia game in early September is well taken. You're going on the road there, and I think Virginia is going to be very good. They're already well coached, and they have a lot of talent returning, and they were very good last year. I don't worry about the Boise game uh, for the reasons that James mentioned. I do think Florida State will get by there. I'm not worried about um, ULM in week two. Um, but Virginia is the one game in the early part of the schedule that gives me pause. Uh, Clemson in October uh, for all the obvious reasons, plus it's on the road. Uh, at Wake doesn't really concern me, but there's a three-week stretch where Florida State plays Syracuse, Miami, and Boston College. You get the Syracuse and Miami games at home, but you have to go to BC. Obviously, BC has kind of been a house of horrors, especially on the road for whatever reason. Um, you know, Florida State's had the talent. They've gone uh, up to Chestnut Hill, and they've gotten their hat handed to them uh, a couple of years ago in particular, and it didn't really make a whole lot of sense but uh that's a game that concerns me in november uh you got the weather factor obviously that does play a part but i think that that could be a pretty tough stretch for florida state only because i think syracuse is a team that can keep up with florida state offensively uh tommy devito can sling the ball over the field we saw that last year uh when he was in relief of eric dungy and you know the syracuse offense under dino babers is going to be very good um, that's a game that Florida State should win, especially at home. But I think that's a game that could get a little dicey just because of Syracuse's ability to score. Miami, for obvious reasons, it's a rivalry game. Miami has a lot of talent on both sides of the football. But the thing I worry about with Miami, like everybody's worrying about, is what's going to happen at quarterback. If Miami doesn't have a quarterback, I think Florida State's going to be able to win that football game. If Miami does have a quarterback, I think that game does get a little bit more dicey, even though it is a home game. So that three-week stretch is going to tell us a lot about Florida State. The problem is that we don't have that stretch until late October, early November, so the jury can still be out. Even if Florida State is 5-0, and 5-1 and after Clemson, you're going to be feeling a lot better about this Florida State schedule. But with that being said, there are some tough games down the stretch. Plus, going on the road to Florida to end the season is going to be tough just because Dan Mullen uh, has those guys ready to play. Um, they, they played well last year. Uh, James, your point is well taken about the recruits factor and the fact that Dan Mullen has trouble keeping his recruits. That point is absolutely well taken. Uh, but with that being said, I think Dan Mullen is uh, is building something nice there after uh, a successful year one. So I think that Florida State, uh, Florida State will have a solid season this year. I think they will have a bounce back year, but I'm going to land right around eight and four. Um, because I can see nine wins, but I can also see seven wins. So we'll settle on we'll settle on those eight wins. And uh, I think it'll be a nice bounce back here for Florida State. I think eight wins could even get them into second place in the division, quite honestly. James, curious to hear, did you hear either myself or Mike say anything that was like pretty egregiously wrong there? No, not at all. I actually um, agree. Um those games that three week stretch. Um so I, I think I don't I don't think Syracuse lost just lost too much to have that same sting. But I respect Boston College and Clemson. I also respect Dino as a as um as a coach at Syracuse. Not his hair, but the man's got a good the man <laughs> the man's really good at what he does. Um I like um but you know I think if my problem is I think if we get to a situation like if we don't get out of that stretch, that first six games, if you're not four and two at minimum, and if you're not – if you really – Miami's an emotional game, if you really drop that game, man, I don't really – um, I think that's really where they can go off the cliff 
Um, you know, but I think if they're really rolling and they and they play well, that's that's really is is they're young. So with young teams have to rely on emotion a lot more than um, than everything else, especially when you're still trying to trying to really reach for buy-in. I didn't realize buy-in is really huge in um in college football. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. Um, I think you make a good point. Those first, those really those first six games, you need to go four and two. And you look at it, I think the real threatening games, Boise State at Virginia, NC State at home at Clemson, it's probably kind of irresponsible to even consider Clemson as a potential win at this point. So really, if you say you got to win two out of three against Boise State, Virginia, and NC State, yeah, I, I think that's completely spot on that, you know, that, that that's a huge setting the tone for the rest of the season and kind of sets you up right. So I think it's going to be interesting. I, you know, one of the things I've thought about with Kendall Bryles is that he and, and that whole system, and, and really one of the things I think about too, is that when they play against Syracuse, Dino Babers and Syracuse came off the Bryles tree. Um, so the offense that Syracuse is going to run, Kendall knows a thing or two about that offense and, may be able to kind of help the defensive staff prep for that game. Um, but I think about it, and it's Kendall Bryles and, and all the off-the-field baggage that probably he brings with him. I mean, they have a track record of making the most of what they have allotted to them. I mean, when when he and his father were turning Baylor into a bit of a powerhouse, that was on the tail end of Baylor having been a doormat for decades on end, you know, and, and they were able to do that without a lot of recruiting riches. So it doesn't take much that, you know, he and that system can, can really produce a lot of fruit on the offensive end of the ball. Um, and, and any sort of shortcomings that Houston had last year, same thing was not the offense's fault. I mean, he and that offense were, were very effective. So that's, that's kind of the X factor to me this season. And is, is what we do and how is he going to be able to revolutionize that side of the ball for Florida State? And ultimately, I think that's the key to the season and, and not only getting back to a bowl game, but really kind of can they actually make a push or, or I don't know if they make a push for winning the Atlantic or at least make a push for finishing second and kind of reestablishing themselves as a force in the ACC at the very least. Yeah, ain't no beating the Atlantic. Ain't no winning the Atlantic. Oh. <laughs> Then again, I say that though. The funny thing that people don't remember about Florida State in the brief run they they did have that twenty twelve Clemson team. No, 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 no. Was, no, was it twenty twelve that we went up there? or Was it Jameis's first year? Had to be Jameis's first. Year. Had to be twenty thirteen when we went up there. That was supposed to be with, with Taj Boyd and all those guys. That was supposed to be Clemson's best team that they had ever had, and they got their asses kicked. Like it was an amazing. Amazing watching that, but I um, I mean, it's just I, I'm more so talking when I talk about this record and stuff. I'm more so talking about for the off the field stuff with Taggart, for Taggart to be able to get what he needs to get out of these guys. Momentum wins, fun, you know, football. I, I always jump with people. Winning is fun, but too many times in this generation now, whatever. I hate this. I don't want to be that curmudgeon. They, they need to have fun before they win without understanding that there's consequences that sometimes come with that through the lack of discipline. But it's just the ACC is weird. I want to know who's going to win the Coastal, bro. Because that's if you can predict the Coastal, you should play lottery because you're going to make a lot of money. I think it's a three-team race. 
yeah, I think it's the three-team race in the Coastal. I think it's Miami, UVA, Virginia Tech. I just, Pittsburgh lost too much at the running back position. Um, I really don't trust a whole whole lot else there, right? Like Duke loses Daniel Jones, which I don't know, could end up being a net positive. Who really knows? <laughs> UNC with Mac Brown. I mean, what's that even going to look like? I have no idea. I mean, there are just so many questions um, on that side of the division as well. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be a total coin flip, I think. I mean, I agree on that. I, don't, I need to know. I need the NCAA to investigate Mac, though. There's no way. <laughs> they're pulling some of those guys that they're pulling. We go to North Carolina. That sounds like a, a discussion for a different podcast, though. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> My bad. But probably worth uh, worth talking about at some point. Uh, Lord knows what went on at, at Texas towards the end of the uh, end of his tenure there or what he's been doing for five years in the booth at ESPN. So, Lord knows. Um, James, this has been a, a great preview here of the Florida State season. I think we've kind of addressed a lot of the concerns and a lot of the potential playmakers, you know, guys that need to step up. Uh, things that might make a difference between last year and this year. Really, really appreciate you coming on once again. Uh, you are, you are, as far as I'm concerned, you are our uh, Florida State guru here on this podcast. So thank you once again for coming on. Uh, you want to tell the people where to find your stuff? Yeah, definitely. The easiest way to do it is just go to at Big Game James 36 on Twitter um, at Fifth Quarter College Football. It's um, probably the best, essentially, group chat. I don't really know the best way to do it, but we have an app where everybody chats and that's where I drop my um, my breaking news before it hits the timeline. Um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of uh, other, cons- a lot of Florida State sites don't really like us too much, but you know, hey, we find stuff and we put it out. So, and it's only $5. And the ironic part, I don't post it because I don't steal, but you typically can get your 247 and Rivals articles inside there as well, at least the ones that are important. Uh, join us if you're coming, if you're checking this out and you want to know what to do with Jacksonville for the Boise State game. We're throwing a tailgate. It's a tailgate like no other. It's um, $40. All you can eat, all you can drink, all you can smoke. We'll have cigars too. And um, you know, air conditioned tents outside of the smoking part. It's kid friendly. We'll make sure kids get in free, kids under 10 get in free. So if you're a mom and dad, you're bringing the kids there, you can get them full of food, sugar, so that when you go into that stadium, you don't have to spend another dollar. Mike can speak to all the uh, all you can drink, all you can eat, all you can smoke too, right? Oh yeah, I, that I can. <laughs> that I can. There was. Yeah, I want to clarify the smoke. It's, it's cigars. It's legalized. <laughs> only cigars. <laughs> only cigars. Yeah, I don't. That the only cigars I'm providing. I don't want anybody to get any like, misconceptions. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I went to the I went to the tailgate down there before the Virginia Tech game in the opener last year, and let's just say I was well hydrated going into uh, going into the stadium for that night game. So it was a solid take. Mike was texting me about two hours before the game about how well hydrated he was. So if that tells you anything, <clears throat> I mean, and it was hot. Hopefully, it won't be as hot and humid as it was for the Virginia Tech game. But you never know in Florida. I was going to say, you've been to Florida in August a couple times, I'm sure. So, a lot to see. James, uh, really appreciate you coming on, man. This has been great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you so much. Uh, No problem, man. Anytime. Appreciate it, man.
All right, Mike, that's James Coleman with the uh, Florida State preview for this season. Uh, we have 13 more season previews to go for the 13 other teams in the ACC. Uh, we've started these a little bit early trying to uh, trying to get those in, but, you know, it comes with the uh, comes with the territory, being a new dad and all that. So going to try to uh, get these in in between sleep sessions and a new job and all that good stuff. So uh, we'll come back and do this sometime soon. And people are itching for college football previews anyway. And, uh, hey, I mean, like James said, we're 55 days from Florida State football. We're 50 days from, or even less less than that now, 48 days away from bona fide week zero. So uh, it's going to be a... It's going to be a big time push here over the next couple of months to get uh, get these previews out, but they usually do pretty well here uh, for this podcast. So we'll get those uh, get those numbers up before the season and give us a nice little runway heading into uh, college football. Should be fun. That's right, and we're gonna we're gonna do our best to get that in. And again, there's a reason we're starting early. We're here for you. Um, so come come Preparing. on. That's right. So come check it out. Um, we got some big things on the way, by the way, Mike. Uh, we got a new logo coming. We've we got uh, a new, uh, some new technology on the back end of what we're doing that hopefully is going to increase the sound quality uh, as if it wasn't good enough already. I mean, who's to say? Right. So we're excited about that. Hopefully you're excited. Uh, we are always looking for new listeners. So if you, if you have a Florida State fan in your life, if you have other ACC football fans in your life, please, uh, this is the good time of year to kind of reach out to them and say, hey, you ready to start getting excited for some college football? Because... We sure as hell are. Um, and, and ask them to join the podcast. Ask them then to uh, rate, review, uh, and, and all that stuff. And subscribe, more importantly. So, But I'll let, you, I'll, I'll let Mike tell you about that here in a minute. Mike, we're going to come back here in a little bit, and uh, we're going to talk about other teams. And in the meantime, you guys can find us on uh, Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. You can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. And Mike, while I'm at it, I want to read a very quick. We had a we had a listener email that came through recently. Um, joining the podcast is hang on. Oh, damn it. I had it. Where did it go? Oh, Mr. Charles Kennel. Mr. Charles Kennel writes us an email that says, Hello, this is Charles Kennel. Are you available for basketball training for my kids? To which my answer is, yes, I am. There is no money back guarantee. <laughs> Your kid will likely not be any good at basketball after I train them. But more more than happy to give them training. Uh, yeah, I'll take your money for anything, sure. Um, anyways, if you have questions such as what Charles Kendall sent us, uh, we have an email address. It is, once again, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Mike, you want to tell them, tell them where they can find us in the social medias? Yeah, Facebook. Check us out. Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there. And Joey, I'm coming to a realization. We're heading into year four of this podcast. Can that be right? Whew. We're about to be able to drive. I know. That's something like something like that. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I just celebrated my uh, my third anniversary with my wife, which is also how I know that, yeah, we're starting year four. Um, yep. we, we started this podcast like two weeks after I got married. So, yep. Uh, here we are. Yep. It's been a whirlwind. Anyway, we've increased the podcast numbers year over year. Um, Joey has gotten married and has a kid now, and uh, we're using a new podcast platform coming up soon, so that'll be good. Like Joey mentioned, a lot of exciting stuff here. New logo, which will be fun. Yep. Um, yep. 
So, I mean, a lot of exciting stuff happening as we head into year four, which we're hoping will be our best year yet. At the end of the day, Mike, I got to feed this kid. So I need you guys to share this podcast with your friends so that we can make more money off of this podcast that way. Yeah, that way Joey doesn't have to go and give basketball training for a living because <laughs> that could get a hey, little bit, want that. that could get a little bit dicey. Nobody wants that, Mike. Nobody. Literally nobody. I distribute the ball well. That's it. Oh boy. I I, I don't dribble, I don't shoot. I just I catch passes and I pass to other people well. That's that's the best I got for basketball. He plays point guard on this podcast and he'll probably <laughs> Probably play point guard for your kids' basketball team too, somehow. For a fee. So there we go. Yes, for a small fee, nominal fee. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh by the way, if you want people to find us, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And by the way, Mike, because of this new podcast platform, soon to be other places. That's, yes. that's that is a, a Joey Weaver basketball conference podcast promise. Uh you can find this podcast other places soon, not just yet. That's a that's a Coach Weaver guarantee. <laughs> Goodness. All right. We need to get out of here. Uh, Mike, this has been fun. You want to come back and preview 13 more ACC teams going into next for year? Sure. For sure. We can do a little tease real quick since this one's already lined up. Uh, Pittsburgh is coming out soon as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we're mm-hmm. going to be recording shortly with Jim Hammett. Uh, of pantherlayer.com and Jim's been on the podcast a billion times at this point but always has a bunch of good Pittsburgh information so he's the one guy that's been booked and we got a couple others that we're working on currently so uh, stick around Mike I've I've heard rumors and I need you to confirm or deny these rumors for me I've been hearing that we're going to have one Mr. Cameron Underwood on the podcast at some point soon as well that that is correct. Um, Damn it! We have been we have been speaking with him off the record about coming on the podcast and previewing a team that really is the bane of my existence. So um, hmm. he'll be on hmm. here shortly as well. Well, we uh, we look forward to Cam rejoining the We Hate Miami podcast here. Yep. <laughs> so uh, keep your uh, keep your podcast feeds open for that. But it's coming. It's coming. Whether you like it or not, it's coming. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. You got anything else? I'm good, man. You want to come back and preview three, 13 more teams? Yep, we got to. We got no choice. We got no choice. No choice. We got about six weeks. We're going to get it done. Uh, Mike, this has been fun. Let's talk again soon. Yep. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Uh, thanks again to James Coleman for joining the podcast. He is jo- He is uh, hopped off at this point. We will talk again soon, and until next time, go ACC. Oh, can't keep me down.